Your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors are right here every week on Next on the Tee. Join Chris as the greats of the game share their stories, insights and playing lessons. Now, back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is top 100 instructor Tom Patry. I've been blessed to have Tom on the show several times over the last few weeks. He helped run the practice facility at Shinnecock Hills during the week of the U.S. Open. So he was on the grounds talking with the players, caddies, and people who run the golf course outside of the guys, you know, at the USGA. And also his good friend and uh, head PGA professional there, Jack Druga. So uh, Tom has become a wonderful friend. And as I've always said, you know, spending time with him is not only an honor, but a privilege as well. He was a Division II national champion and an All-American at Florida Southern. He's been Teacher of the Year everywhere he's been. Golf Magazine has named him a Top 100 teacher each year since 2000. And I'm honored that he took time out of his night to come back yet again here on Next on the T. Hey, TP, thanks for coming on the show. Chris, how's it going, pal? Nice to be with you. So, Tom, you might have caught the uh, end of uh, my conversation there with Bill Bergen and the talk of uh, getting together with him and building your own site, your own instructional uh, facility. Talk about that. Where is that? And please tell me it's going to be in Atlanta. Chris <laughs> is not going to be in Atlanta, I'm sorry to say. Although maybe somebody, maybe we won there also. But Bill has been a long-time friend. Uh, and I know you didn't talk about it too much. I did catch the interview. Bill was a wonderful, wonderful player um, and, and a very successful player in his own right. And uh, I think that just adds to his ability to make great judgment in making a design feature come to life. And he's, a, he's a really talented guy. And uh, we've been talking about um, and done some drawings and, and some budgets so far for a facility I hope will come out of the ground uh, if everything goes right maybe the next two years. And it will probably be in the Naples, Florida area. Um, we've got a design that uh, we believe is very, very unique that will allow um, any skill level from beginner to tour player to practice their game in a very unique way, in a very different way, in a very complete way. It would be kind of a one-stop shop where anything you want to do involved in improving your golf game, from your body to your golf swing to your equipment, um, to anything you can think of in your golf game will be on that on that one site. Um, so... Fingers are crossed. It's, it's really very, very preliminary right now, but uh, we've talked to some land people already. We've talked to some investors already. Um, so it will be a dream come true, Chris, but we're not, we're not quite there yet. So let's not get too excited yet. <laughs> well, uh, it's hard to you know not get excited about a venture between the two no, of you really and setting up a, a golf school where you know people can come at all skill levels and learn. I'm, I'm dying to know what about the design and the vision so hopefully as that uh, starts to take shape you'll come back and both uh, you and bill can share more about what's going on because i'm sure it's going to be a, a state-of-the-art place i hope i hope that happens it's not just just not just learning either because it's it's a place where people can actually join and be members of a practice facility that offers things that are not offered anywhere else switching gears just a little bit we're a couple of weeks north now of the u.s open and i wanted to sort of get mm-hmm. a post-mortem from you since you were there on the grounds and like I say, talking with the players and the caddy, your good friend, Jack Druga being the the head Mm -hmm. professional there. Was, was this another big miss by the UG uh, USGA altogether? Or was it as simple as what people are saying, you know, trying to say, Hey, it was just a couple of poor pin placements on 13 and 15 on Saturday. Was it that simple or was it bigger than that? 
so you're going to get me in trouble again, Chris. And I'm, I'm pretty good at getting myself in trouble. I don't really need any help. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, Bill Bergen and I and, and, you know, a host of other golf specials that I know could run a better member guest than this year in the U.S. Open. How's that for, how's that for a quote? Um, they just, <laughs> they just don't seem to get it. I mean, um, the golf course, Shinnecock itself is such an unbelievably great place. You don't have to do much to Shinnecock to make it a championship venue. Um, you know, it's not like it's their first, it's their first, ro- it's not their first rodeo there because you know, this is, this is several opens into that site and you think they'd understand wind conditions and weather changes and, and how the golf course would play, you know, plays from day to day. Um, they just, they just didn't get it right. Uh, and, and you know, having been at Westchester Country Club for 11 years and hosting 11 viewer classics and being involved there and watching the PGA Tour set up the golf course and watching the USGA set up the golf course, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me. It really is. So to that end, Tom, and, and you make you make the perfect point, right? This isn't the first time the Open has been no. held at Shinnecock, and they didn't no. do a, a no. great job last time either, oh, by the way. So what is it? How can they not get this right? What is the, what's missing? What are they not learning? You know, Chris, again, you're, you're digging my hole pretty deep here, so I might as well just dive in deep first here. But um, well, the PGA Tour runs X number of events a year, uh, every week of the year, every week of the year with the best players in the world. Um, probably if you look at championship, uh, a major championship venues and major championships in terms of how they're run, Augusta seems to do a pretty good job. So what if, what if in theory the USGA would be, you know, let's copy everything Augusta does, let's just copy what they do, and let's go to the PGA Tour and say, guys, we need your help and your advice on what we're missing. But the USGA seems to have too big of an ego to do that, ask for help, um, because they know more than we know about, they know more about radio than you do, Chris, and know more about back things than I do, uh, more about fixing a car than a mechanic downtown at the, at the local garage. So they're not, they're not very good at that. They're not really good at saying, hey, you know, we, we, we kind of screwed this up and we need some help and maybe we should go get some advice and look at what other people are doing and how they do it that are very successful doing those things. Um, you know, enough said. I, 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 I'm sure my phone and my, my text will be blowing up later and people will be yelling. I mean, I've got some friends, obviously, that are involved with the USGA. I'm sure they're not happy with me right now, but that's that's just the way I see it. That's just the way I see it. So you talk about, you know, ego there, right? Is it is it a, a case of they don't talk to, you know, the Jack Drugas of the world and the, and the core superintendents you know, that are there at Shinnecock Hill to kind of get a feel because, as you mentioned, they know better? Are they not consulting the local folks because, for whatever reason, they feel like, wow, well, you're the local guys. We're the USGA. We're, we know better than you, so we're not going to take your advice or consult you guys at all? Well, I, I can't. I can't speak to interaction between the Shinnecock staff or the Shinnecock hierarchy and the, and the USGA. I wasn't obviously privileged to be involved in any of that, but um, it, it would just seem to me that you know there are people on property at Shinnecock day to day that are very, very talented people um, within the membership and, and within the special staff that certainly know an awful lot about that property, and and I've. I've been privileged to play Shinnecock on several occasions and, and think the world of the place, think the world of the membership and think the world of special staff. 
And I can tell you for a fact that they know what they're doing day to day at Shinnecock. And there are things that happened during that open that I, I, I know they would, they would have probably done differently had it been their call. Um, I can, I, I can, I, I'm pretty safe in, in making that call, I think. Um, so I can't speak to the ego of the USGA, um, from an inside the, the meeting closed door situation, but I, I can just tell you that, you know, in speaking to players and, and, and reaction from players, it, it, it wasn't particularly pretty. And, and Tom, going back to, you know, earlier times in your career, you've played in several. USGA run tournaments over the course of your career. Has this always been an issue or is this just more local over the last, say, decade or so? Or are we just simply hearing more about it in the, you know, today's world with social media and, you know, everything is, you know, becomes news right away because there's eyes and cameras and everything everywhere. Has this become more of a, just because we're hearing about it more often now and this has always been sort of an issue or do you think this is a new thing? Chris, I'm not going to I'm not going to get into a uh, pointing finger at any particular person, but I will say that I think there are certain people at the USGA now that just don't get it, and 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 there's certainly some people that are decision makers at the USGA that just don't get it, um, and we'll just leave it at that. Tom, so let's switch gears a little bit, and uh, you know, getting away from uh, from the U.S. Open. And what we saw there to let's talk about you and, and teaching lessons, because um, one of the things that you know, has struck me that I could use some help on. And I we saw it, obviously, at Shinnecock with the wind and that sort of thing. I'm, I'm freshly back from a weekend in in Florida. Right, I went down there with my family, got to play while I was there. And one of the things and I've heard you comment on this before is putting on Bermuda greens. I think you said, you know, putting on Bermuda greens isn't really golf. And you know, I really wasn't sure what you meant by that when I when I saw some of the things that you said, you know, along those lines. But having come back from that, I sort of get it now. So, you know, is is there a different way for folks that are going to be heading down to Florida and they're going to be playing a lot of golf down there on those Bermuda greens, which are which are you know, certainly more grainy than greens that I'm typically used to putting on? Is there a different way we have to approach putting when we're putting on Bermuda greens? Well, Chris, first of all, let me, let me give a little shout out. I'm, I'm up in Maryland right now and played golf up here today and I'm visiting with two dear friends of mine, Rick and Debbie Roundsville. And Rick's a wonderful teacher here in the, in the middle Atlantic section. Anybody that spends any time in the middle Atlantic and needs some help with their golf game, um, Rick's out at Mountain Branch and he'd be a wonderful guy to reach out for. But that said, you know, I put on some bent grass today and, and you know, and every time I come up with bent grass greens, and, and listen, it all comes down to what you grew up on. Um, I grew up on bent, and that's where I'm most comfortable. That said, you know, I, I won seven college events on, on Bermuda. So I was able to transition um, and be competitive, but never liked it. Uh, I just never liked the feel of it. It was always, uh, I thought it was a very inconsistent surface in comparison to bent. Um, you know, and, and, and listen, we've come a long way with, with Bermuda as well. We've got so many hybrids now. We've got Past Palom. We've got Celebration. We've got Tiff Eagle, which is actually not a bad surface. So in Florida, particularly where you were in the panhandle, depending on where you were and depending on the age of the greens, if they've been rebuilt and they've been, you know, renovated and restorated as a Bill Bergen would do it, um, if you want old-style Bermuda greens, 
Um, I, I was with you, I'd probably want to vomit. Um, there, there's been a lot of transformation in the southeast with different strands of, of hybrids now that have been much better putting surfaces. They've come a long way. But if, if, the, if the golf course is an old-school golf course and hasn't been touched in a long time and you're on any kind of old-school Bermuda, it's it's not ideal. It's not ideal at all. And, and you know, you, you, you know, I'm used to very, very fast game speeds. I, play, I, was, at, I was at Wingfoot last week in Westchester Country Club in New York, and I was absolutely in heaven. Um, and even greens that were part, part bent, part poe, if they're maintained correctly and, and they've been verticut and they've been maintained at a high level, um, they're still wonderful putting surfaces. And, you know, it, it, again, it goes back to what you grew up on, Chris, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a Northeast guy and, Fast, firm surfaces are where I'm most comfortable. Tom, just a couple more before we let you go. And for those of us who don't have the Tiger Stinger in our golf bag, right? <laughs> we, we don't have that shot. For when we are faced with wind, headwind off a tee, what's the best approach to give ourselves the maximum distance when we're faced with that kind of conditions? Well, certainly we've come so far, Chris, with for the average player out there with the golf ball. There are so many golf ball selections now. We're hoping with that. And there are choices you can make across your pro shop counter. And, and you should go to your PGA professional and ask for some advice about the ball you're playing in windy conditions. Because on, on windy days, I, I do make a ball change myself. Um, and, and then, you know, we, we, we've all gravitated towards the hybrid which is a wonderful club for getting the awful up in the air and getting any shots out of really difficult lies. But we've gotten away from the long iron, and for good reason. It's very difficult to hit. But so many companies now come out with driving irons and different kind of help irons. Um, the equipment is a big deal, too, so you should research that. But from a technique standpoint, your ball position, dripping down the club a little bit, you know, abbreviating your backswing, abbreviating your follow-through, and doing things in your setup condition can really help you a lot. And one of the reasons that people don't perform very well in the wind because they hit those kind of shots very well is they don't practice those shots. So, you know, when I, when I go to a range, and particularly on windy days, I don't hit full golf shots. On windy days, I take advantage of that on the range, and I practice hitting knockdown shots or moving the ball back in my stance and experimenting or gripping down on the golf club and doing different things that I, I'm going to have to do in that condition when I play in those conditions, I mean, to play in those conditions, you have to practice those conditions. And I think people show up on a windy day and they go, well, I'm going to try this today. And I'm going to try that today. And that's, that's a tough way to figure it out when you're, when you're going to try and run a score in your scorecard. Tom, for all of us who need help with our games, let our listeners know where you're going to be teaching this summer. Because I'm, I'm splitting my time between uh, a location in Maryland and I'm splitting my time with the Colonial Springs on Long Island. I'm doing seven two-day golf schools at Saratoga National in Saratoga, New York. And then I'm actually, uh, I'm actually, I've got a new program this summer which has been very, very popular and well received called the Doctor Next House Calls. Like, for example, next week I'm spending three days with uh, the group of people that hired me to go to Chicago to see them. Uh, the week after that I'm going to, uh, Caraba Island and just off of Erie, Pennsylvania. And I've never been in that area before, so I don't know where I'm really going. Um, but flying into Cleveland. Uh, I'm doing another one of those, uh, two day golf schools where somebody hired me to go to Shelter Harbor in Rhode Island. Uh, one up in Portland, Maine. 
So I'm kind of all over the place. So the best way to find me is through my website, which is at, you know, tompatry.com. Uh, a lot of my dates are on my homepage there, and then certainly you'll be able to email me at tpatry at mindspring.com. You can always catch up with me and ask the question where I'll be at any particular date or time. Talk about where we can follow you on social media as well, Tom. Of course, all the platforms, just like you, you know, Facebook, two pages, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, certainly. Uh, all those, all those sites are, are available. And then if people want to go to my website again at tompatry.com and sign up for my newsletter, they can do that on my website and then they can receive regular updates on what I'm doing and where I'm going and, and, and different tips and specials that I'm running as well. And I can tell you, um, one of my favorite things that you do are your Facebook Live videos. I, mean, <laughs> I, wish I wish they were scheduled at a particular time so I could make sure that I caught all of them live, but it's fantastic stuff. Talk about your Facebook Live stuff. You know, Chris, it's funny. I, I, you know, I traveled there in the summer in a, uh, in a Chevy Silverado pickup truck, and my friends make fun of me because I've got a clothes bar in the back and the second part of the cab. I've got all my clothes packed in. I've got my teaching aids in the, in the, in the bed in the back. Uh, you know, it's like a, it's like my apartment rolling down the road. Uh, and, and, and it's funny, a couple of weeks ago I was driving from point A to point B and I got tired and pulled over in the middle of the night on the Jersey Turnpike and put the seat back and slept for a couple of hours. So it's quite an existence, but, um, while I'm driving often I'll turn on, uh, you know, I've got a mount on the, on the dashboard for my, for my iPhone and I'll turn on the Facebook, my Facebook page and go to live and just, and just start rambling as I'm driving down the road. And it's got a lot of reaction. I can't even tell you half the comments I get. They're comical. And so many friends tune in and, uh, and, and, uh, and either tweet back or post on the Facebook page about, about Facebook Live. I appreciate you bringing that up. It's a lot of fun for me. I just kind of start blabbing and things just kind of pour out of there. And usually, you know, during every Facebook Live, I generally say something that gets me in trouble too. So you got me tonight at the USGA. I get my, I get myself at Facebook Live. Um, I'm, I'm not really good at holding back. That's not one of my strong suits. Well, Tom, I can't thank you enough for your time again tonight. Like I say, always a privilege having you as part of the show. I hope you'll come back again soon, share more of your insights, more of your teaching lessons, you know, with uh, with me and our audience, because it's always so fantastic when you're a part of a segment. Chris, uh, the stuff that you do for the armed forces and, and the broadcasts you make overseas and, and, and all the posts you make, uh, and all the exposure you get, give us all in the business, uh, whether it's the Bill, the Bill Bergens of the world or myself or anybody you're, that you have on, we're so privileged to be part of your show. We appreciate all you do for the game of golf. We need, we need more Chris's in the world, and uh, we'd be a lot better off. Thanks for having me, pal. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much, Tom. You're fantastic. Hopefully, like I say, we get the privilege of having you back on the show again real soon. In between now and then, A, B, C, and B, all the best to you and your family, my friend. Thanks, Chris. Have a great night. All right. You too, Tom. That is the great Tom Patry. His last name is spelled P-A-T-R-I. So TomPatry.com is his website. You can follow him, like he says, on, on all over social media. And again, the Facebook Live stuff, folks, is absolutely fantastic. And it seems like it's a stream of consciousness for Tom. But the things that he puts out there, his insights, the things that he is thinking about, some tips along the way, some some successes that is you know his uh, his students are having and the great stuff that they are they're achieving 
are fantastic to watch. So I highly recommend it. If you can't catch it live, like I, you know, unfortunately, like I say, if it was scheduled, I'd be all over watching that live every time he was doing it. But uh, you you can check out the videos there on his Facebook page. It is really great stuff, and and Tom is one of the very best in the game. So hopefully, like I say, we get the privilege of catching him again real soon. 